Being Black in America comes with its challenges. However, we understand that enlightenment through education is the oppressor's worst fear. By bridging the gap between academia and the people, our purpose is to equip you with knowledge that breaks down barriers during your journey towards truth and freedom. Welcome to the Black and Highly Dangerous Podcast. Yo, Daph, what's going on, going on? Last week of January, what's up? I know, last week of January, this is the last week of our kind of, you know, entertainment news episodes with just us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm excited for today's conversation because I've I've enjoyed having these conversations with you, Um, but I'm also looking forward to like digging into some of our, our meaty interviews, you know? Oh, yeah. 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 I'm excited to get the interviews back up. But this has been fun. Like I've actually enjoyed, you know, just having the hot topics, current events every week uh, where we can really deep dive in. And it's almost like an extended, you know, oh, Lord, news segment that we usually do. Right? <laughs> for like I, an hour. Agree. I agree. The conversation has been really good. Um, uh-huh. Other than that. Uh, so I, I have some bad news. Oh, uh, the other school that I was going to look at for my dissertation officially backed out. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the woes of qualitative research. Right? Yeah. And I'm kind of mad because you sent me a shady email. She was like, uh, when you didn't hear back from me, I thought you would move on. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> okay. So just you're just supposed to just ignore that, huh? Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. But, you know, it took me a lot not to, like, respond in, like, a petty way. But I, I tried it. She really? Did. Yeah. She really have to say that. She could just be like, no, I'm sorry. Would you have to be like, oh, because I didn't respond. I just assumed you would get the hand that. Okay. And I mean, the, the funny part about that is we I have been in contact with like people at her school, like through her. So there had been communication. So I didn't see the point of her even putting that like, actually, we, we talked not too long ago. So but it was just kind of like, OK, shady boots. I'm going to go with the story I have, which I think is going to be compelling anyway. I'm mm-hmm. looking at how uh, demographic change related to immigration is shaping the work of educators at a historically black school that was actually founded in 1865 by the Freedmen's Bureau. Mm, nice. So I, the thing is, I feel like God does everything for a reason because I feel like this story is complete in itself. Like I would have liked to have the second case study, but there's so much rich, rich history right there that is just going to allow me to provide a little bit more context for why people are potentially reacting to demographic change the way they are when you think about the history of the school. Yeah, that's good. You can um, deep just have one site and deep dive. Ain't nothing wrong with that. You know, I think you'll get some really rich data and you really be able to cover all angles, you know, sometimes trying to do comparative and, you know, you might miss some things and and do the time and, you know, trying to get out and finish. <laughs> and so now you can really take your time a little bit. Yeah. So, so it'll work out. It's a blessing in disguise, but I agree. And as much work as I've put into this first school, because I've, I've been there since August, I do now realize that maybe each school should have had a year 
on its own, like with just me mm. in there, because being at the, this first school every single day, I'm capturing things that I wouldn't capture if I was trying to like go back and forth. So, you know, I could see the other school or some other school as maybe like a postdoc uh, project or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Don't even don't even worry about it, because that's going to let you sound really good when you want to on the market. <laughs> like as far as a future research agenda, they were like you already got it down pat of some sites you're looking at or, or kind of things you want to look at. So to how to continue to research, so that'll be perfect. It'll work out that way too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's mm-hmm. going on with you though? Nothing. First week of classes down. Um, <clears throat> I woke up with like a sore throat, you know, over this weekend because I'm like, I guess I haven't been really talking loud and you know for like three hours straight, like I'm used to. So I guess my vocal cords were a little, little out of shape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you might need to get a mic. <laughs> I like to get a mic. Big old classrooms with all these students. Um, so I was like, dang, well, my, my throat's so sore. But then I realized, I was like, oh yeah, I was teaching all week. Mm-hmm. So I just need a little break. Um, but other than that, yeah, you know, first week was fine. Students were excited. I'm excited kind of, you know, to get back into the groove of things and teaching some of my favorite classes like race, crime and punishment and stuff. I love teaching that class. So, I'm excited, but then, uh, you know, a month and a half from now, two months, I'm like, okay, is the semester over yet? <laughs> <laughs> spring semester. It, don't people feel like spring semester is longer because you only have like a uh, spring break and it's just mm-hmm. like a huge stretch of time? Yeah, yeah. Spring semester feels always feels so long. I'm trying to take my pre tenure sabbatical next year, but I'm definitely, we only get a semester, so I'm definitely trying to take it in the spring semester. Okay, that makes I, sense. I ain't going to waste it in the fall. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of breaks in the fall. Lots of breaks. I'm definitely going to use the spring, and then you have it goes right in the summer, so I got all that time off. You know. Oh, yeah, that's smart. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so, so yeah, that's where I'm at now. It's back to school, back to work. Okay, well, let's get this thing. All right, we got uh, some old little news stories, I'm sure. Of course we do. All right, let's get into it. Hello. And welcome to BHD News, where we give you the most current and eye-opening old lore news of the week. Join us as we present news that'll make you want to say... Okay, so for our first Oh Lord news story, is it's kind of sad. Uh, so an Indiana superintendent is facing charges. Now, most of the time when we hear about an educator facing some charges, we immediately go to, oh my God, what has she done to a child? Well, this superintendent is facing charges because she used her son's insurance to help a sick student in her school district. Um, According to court documents, the superintendent used her son's insurance because when she took the student who had been like exhibiting symptoms of maybe strep throat, when she took him to the hospital, they would not allow her to seek treatment for him because he was a minor and she wasn't his guardian. So she then went to a different clinic and used her son's name and insurance uh, to get the, the student treatment, which she was able to get him some antibiotics. Um, And, you know, I've seen mixed reactions to this story because I see a lot of parents like, 
yo, I wish my child had a superintendent or an educator like that because it was somebody that was willing to go above and beyond. And then there's also people are like, but at the end of the day, it was still fraud. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think it was anything that I'd be like, oh, my God, this fraudulent activity. How could you? I mean, you're trying to help out as a kid. So, you know, I wouldn't be like upset about it um, personally. Um, but I mean, people who are like super trying to follow the law, I guess, would be like, you know, this is bad. I mean, it can if you allow it, it can stem into other bad situations. But, you know, she was going above and beyond to try to help this, this student out. So. And putting, you know, her, I guess, livelihood at risk or her reputation at risk to do so. Yes, because she's been in charge with insurance fraud, insurance application fraud and uh, something related to like identity. It's not identity fraud, but it's, you know, some identity related charges for being like fraudulent related to that. So, you know. I, this is one of those cases where I low-key hope, you know, she kind of gets a slap on the wrist. Um, cause. Yeah, because I guess it's like, you know, you're in those situations. You're probably working with kids all the time and you just see sometimes they're just in really bad situations. You want to help. And, you know, she probably just like, dang, I got this insurance sitting here. Let me try, you know. Yeah. Do what I can. And, and I mean, you got people like that, especially if you're a teacher. Um, sometimes some educators are just like, you know, they really care about the students. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. Okay, so this this next story is also related to something that happened with educators, but it's like the exact opposite or it will elicit the exact opposite reaction. So a New York state school district is facing a storm of criticism from parents and school leaders because after uh, four black girls exhibited giddiness, they were laughing and they were giddy at school. The school nurse and assistant principal decided that they should be strip search for drugs. Wow. And, you know, it wasn't so the school district, you know, actually stood by them and tried to release their uh, strip search policy. But Their policy actually states that a student may be searched in a school building. These searches involve an administrator requesting a student to empty their pockets, remove their shoes and or their jackets. However, uh, the first student was required to move her, remove her shirt, her pants and the second layer of her leggings. So she was just there in her bra and panties. The second student was made to remove her shirt and outer pants. So she was there in her bra. The third student removed her shirt. So she was there in her bra and her pants. And the last student, you know, just refused to do it because she's like, I'm not going to, you know, be subjected to this. And they gave her in-school suspension. That's wild. So who was it like the security or something? Who, Who was doing this? No, I think it was an assistant principal and the nurse who did it. Oh, oh man. Listen, man. Uh, they need some jail time. Like this is this is bad because it was my daughter. If the cops ain't doing nothing, I'm sorry. They may have to see these hands. Yeah, it was. And even when cops do strip searches, you know, they there are procedures for that. Um, is usually I don't know whether the assistant principal and the principal. I don't know whether they were men or women, but either way, go. That is just is that experience is so just 
it's a violating experience to be a teenager and you're forced to strip down for these adults. Like, call their parents. Like, if you want to search my child, call me. Yeah, you got you got to you got to get parent uh, parental consent or something like that. They got to be. I mean, this is this is what a lot of people talk about when they talk about school to prison pipeline kind of stuff and how even some schools, you know, part of that whole research line is like some schools are starting to resemble and mimic, you know, the behaviors of prisons. Yes. We have school resource officers are walking through metal detectors and getting searched. And now you're literally getting strip searched like you would if you're getting intake into a jail or a facility. Mm-hmm. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's wild. Come on. No, you're, you're an educator. You're a vice principal. You are a nurse. You are not a, a corrections officer. Like, right. Like relax. Right. And it's just so mind boggling to me that the district released their policy as a defense when their policy clearly states jackets and pockets. You know, not shirts and leggings. Yeah, you you going against policy. That's why I feel like there should be some repercussions there because they're not even following what they're supposed to do. The guidelines that are in place. Mm-hmm. Sue parents. Sue. Yeah. I about to say there got to be some legal ramifications <laughs> for this one. <laughs> got to be. <laughs> um, um, speaking of violations, this next story is just kind of an update to an old Lord news story we had a couple weeks ago. Uh, so you remember the Phoenix woman who had been in um, a, a coma or been in a vegetative state uh, for like maybe 20 something years, I think like 26 or 27 years. She was in, you know, I think she was in a vegetative state from like the age of two or three and she's 29 now. Mm, yep, yep, I remember. Well, they did find a suspect. So uh, kind of like you said, they would potentially do. Uh, they collected DNA samples from, you know, the male employees there. And the DNA was linked to a 36-year-old man um, who was a licensed practical nurse at the facility. Uh, his name is Nathan Sutherland. And his DNA mm. did match the DNA of the baby. Mm. Uh, now, what's crazy to me is that I read that his lawyer said uh, something like uh, just because the evidence matches the, the client or the evidence of the baby matches the client, that doesn't mean that he sexually assaulted her. What? She couldn't consent, sir. Yo, what? Come on, man. Yo, these, these people be wilding, man. Do all they can. That's ridiculous. Yeah, she couldn't consent. So it's it's kind of disgusting. And I still feel like the the care facility should be, you know, implicated because I'm I'm pretty sure this person was showing. Like if she's getting her sponge baths or whatever it is, like she's supposed to, someone had to see that she was pregnant. So Yeah, yeah, they they gotta probably be some other people in there, but at least they got the culprit. You know, yes, I, I agree. I agree. I hope they throw the book at him. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's just wrong. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, like you said, what did we say before about the baby, the parents or somebody or who going to take care of the baby? Did it um, actually, the I think I read that the, the lady is actually a member of a Native American tribe, the uh, San Carlos Apache tribe. Uh, so I'm not actually sure, you know, maybe the, the tribe will take the child in, but I'm not sure about the parents. Mm, okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, 
good update on that. <laughs> yeah. And and the last one is just giving an update. So I'm pretty sure you heard that uh, Trump has called a truce for three weeks mm-hmm. and the shutdown <laughs> is off at least until February. Big bad Trump talking about he's going to go on for years. You know, he, Nah. You know why I really think he decided to uh, call a truce for now? Why? Because he want to give that state of the union. He want to <laughs> be on TV. That's funny. That's what it was. <laughs> like as soon as Pelosi was like, "Nah, we ain't doing it." Like a day, it's day and a half later. Like, listen, we're gonna open up the government. I'm like, yo, they really. <laughs> Oh, like man. don't care about the employees that's missing paychecks it really is because he want to be on prime time and I'm happy that Pelosi was like uh, we still haven't discussed the state of the union like mm-hmm. I hope that she's like we can do state of the union when we have come to a permanent uh, resolution related yeah. to this because yeah. I think all he'll do is go back to saying like oh this oh, is yeah. He'll give his state of the union and go right back until it. So, you know, you know, he's a narcissist. He's into himself. He wants to see himself on TV. And, you know, that's what got him to open up the government. So you do not give that back to him until you open that baby back up for good. That is so sad, though. Oh, my God. He just want to be on TV. (laughs) But I was I was hoping that it was because although they call like I think 40,000 IRS employees to come back, like 14,000 was like, nah, and just didn't show up um, because, you know, they want to be able to process refunds. But and it wasn't just that they didn't show up. A lot of them just couldn't be reached. They probably got new jobs now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that I also read, you know, this past week that like some of the major airports were experiencing like like ground delays and like cancellations because they don't have enough air traffic controllers. So it really was starting to uh, affect like air traffic. Mm -hmm. Big airports like LaGuardia up Mm -hmm. here, you know, they were like, listen, we can't, we can't book any more flights until, you know, we get to settle. Newark was having cancellations. So Mm -hmm. I think DC as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, There was also talks of a flight attendants, like, going I don't know if it was a actual strike but I think there was going to be some type of like we're not coming in as well um and it might be like related to safety concerns but um and they were also starting to talk about like foods that you maybe should look out for because FDA inspections were not going on the good thing is like um the USDA you know who looks at like meat and eggs and stuff like that that was fine but they were starting to talk about the foods that the FDA, you know, inspects and how, you know, we were about to have to start being really careful. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad it's open um, for three weeks because there was a lot of a lot of bad things about to be happening. You know, mm-hmm. it was 35 days, a long time. That's at least two checks, you know, people were missing. Yeah. So a I whole, hope they get, month. I hope they get the back pay for both of those checks. Quickly. And, and then I guess they can potentially get another check. But I'm just really hoping it's over. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it's going to be over. We'll see. Um, I think they'll come to a resolution. Hopefully now that it got his attention to back off a little bit with this whole closing the government thing. Um, Okay, so I got a quick story before we move on. Well, one kind of thinking about I want to go back. We talk about we're talking about Trump being a narcissist. Um, I know you said in the past you watched Big Brother. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm watching this new season, too. <laughs> so, yeah, I've never really watched it before, but for some reason this week I've been watching the celebrity one. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the one guy who used to work for Trump, 
you know, he had I said, yeah, he had said at one point, he's like, yo, Trump used to just literally like see, watch Trump sit in front of the TV and like, like make a tweet and then love to see him like the news, uh, like talk about the tweet as he's like watching the news on TV. Kind of like watch when I do this, I'll make this tweet and then watch him start talking about me. Um, and so he's like, he's been using that for his advantage. I'm like, yo, so this guy really sits in front of the TV, watches the news, tweets, and then loves when the news talks about his tweets. Like this guy is man, such such in himself, man, so self absorbed. It's crazy. That's why the news needs to stop with the urgent report, urgent news. Trump just tweeted that. Like we need to stop that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because he he. He thrives off of that. He loves it. He loves it. But yeah, now Celebrity Big Brother's been funny, man. I've been f- first time watching it. <laughs> That's uh, funny. But um, there's this news story that I want to talk about that I saw this past week that I was like, I gotta, I gotta put on old Lord news. Have you ever heard of this woman named uh, Martina Big? No. All right. I never heard of her either, but apparently she made headlines in 2017, right? Um, she's not from America, but apparently she's a white glamour model, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you guys should look her up. So in 2017, she made headlines for um, her size 32S breasts and black skin. Now, she's a white woman, okay? <laughs> I know exactly who you are. But she obtained this black skin through what is known as tanning injections using melatonin. Okay, um, or melanotan, melanotan, melanotan is actually what it's called. Okay. Um, and then one la- one year later, after she got this melanotan, uh, she went to Kenya to be baptized as black, and she claimed the local the local clergyman there declared her as a true African woman. Okay, so if you see pictures of this woman, um, she looks crazy, but her face is like has all this black skin and everything like that. But she's a white woman. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so like now. Pregnant? Or some. Well, so yeah, this is the this is the the conversation now because two years later, right, 2019, she's made headlines again because her and her husband, who did not go through this procedure, he's a white man, and um, and she's saying now that they are ready to start a family. Okay, <laughs> okay, normal. Um, but on this, she paired on this new show called This Morning, and all this show, she said that now that she identifies and feels that she's a hundred percent black. Okay, that her children, the babies that she will have, will also be black as well. <laughs> I, I, I did see that. <laughs> but it's that social media up in uproar because even the the uh, person who was interviewing her was taken aback. Like, wait, what do you mean? Like, you really believe your children are going to be black? And she really feels that she's a black woman and that her children will come out black, if not full black, at least half black, because her husband is still white. So she expects him to have some kind of color. Uh, isn't, isn't that crazy, man? <laughs> yes, it's crazy. Like, she is like Rachel Dolezal to the umpteenth power, honey. Yes. Like, she she said the doctors said that her babies will be black. And I like, I just cannot believe. I don't know what kind of doctors you going to. <laughs> I, mean, I, I would be surprised that they're even letting her still inject herself with that stuff while she's pregnant. No, yeah, that'd be that'd be crazy. I mean, but yeah, this is like black facing, black fishing, racial dolezal, like to the maximum. Like you can't <laughs> do this anymore. And now you think you're about to have black babies? Like <laughs> yeah. this is wild. Y'all go check, go, go check out, go look at, you know, the picture of her and her husband and and check it out for yourselves. But I couldn't believe it when I saw it. I was like, this woman is silly. <laughs> so silly. Um oh. Okay. All right. Well, 
one of the things we we talked about before that we wanted to talk about on this podcast, um, and especially, you know, we've been kind of waiting to see who declares or who's saying that they're going to run for the 2020 candidacy is that we wanted to talk about some of the candidates candidates that are popping up and maybe what that looks like in our kind of impressions of what's going on thus far. Um, so that's what we'll do today. You know, we'll spend the, the remainder of this podcast kind of talking about what is looking like for 2020 for the Democratic Party. We know Trump is going to be the leader for the, you know, the Republican Party. He's going to get that nomination and that nod. So now it's everybody. It's like a wild, wild west within the Democratic Party as far as who's going to run. It's still pretty early on because the caucus is until what, next February, I believe. Right. Yes. Yes. A so, year from now. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, and so there's still other people that haven't said anything yet. People like, you know, Bernie Sanders, people like Joe Biden, who are just rumbling that they may consider doing it as well, who are, of course, like the big hitters. I've even heard conversations of Hillary even potentially thinking of giving it another go around um, as well. But we hear some we're now we're hearing about some of these younger candidates or some of these other folks who have been making headlines in these past couple of years that Trump been in office throwing their names in the hat. Um, yeah. So I was wondering, are you excited about anybody so far um well i guess let me kind of i guess let me tell people who are who is running um you know just the, the list of names that's a good place to start <laughs> and then we can uh and then we can go from there and like see if any names stand out but no that's a good question because i've been looking at kind of all of them and some in more greater detail than others but i'll, I'll talk about that in a second okay. um for sure uh so you know we have and this is not in chronological order when they announce they're running but uh, we have a guy by the name of Pete Buttigieg, is I believe how you pronounce his name, um, who is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Uh, there is uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, who's a senator in New York, uh, Senator Kamala Harris, uh, Representative Tulsi Gabbard, who I believe is in, um, is she the one in Hawaii? I'm pretty sure she's from Hawaii. Yes, she's a House Democrat from Hawaii. Uh, senator Elizabeth Warren, okay, mm-hmm. Um John Delaney, who is a Maryland representative. Okay. We have Andrew Yang, who is an entrepreneur in New York and not really with any kind of political affiliation and stuff like that, but is running Democrat, but he's never been like in politics. And then we have uh, Julian Castro, who's a former mayor of San Antonio and served as Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under President Obama. Um, And those are the main ones right now that have thrown their hats in the race for the Democratic Party. Yeah, it's it's funny because there was actually this uh, this other guy who's already dropped out. Uh, he was like a retired army major. Yeah, Richard Ohio, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was he, like, I'm not even trying to take y'all money when I ain't got a chance. So. Yeah, <laughs> Richard Ojeda was his name. Yep. Retired army army major. His name was in there and, and state senator in West, West Virginia at some point. Um, But yeah, so I mean. Overall, what are your what are your impressions? I guess anybody standing out to you with these list of candidates we have thus far? Mm, hmm, uh, n- n- nobody stands out as like to me as like a real contender to to beat Trump, and maybe that's because I, you know, we haven't like had their platforms. I do know that a lot of people feel strongly. Uh, on both sides related to Kamala Harris, um, you know, in terms of like, you know, Democratic voters either feel like strong, like, yes, I want to get behind her. And some people are like, this is Hillary Clinton 2.0. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 
you know, I feel like those are a lot of big names that are, are there, but I don't see anybody that I'm like, yeah, this is like a real champ. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't. Yeah, that might be controversial to say, because I know I'm I feel like I'm supposed to say that, like Kamala Harris is uh, because she's a black woman. She's also a member of my sorority. I've kept Alpha sorority. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but it's just kind of like for me, I I watch politics very closely. I study it from an academic you know, perspective in terms of like what, you know, voters look for. Like even when we had the 2016 election, I was taking a course on race, racism and American politics with a professor named Larry Bobo, who was like, you know, a foremost scholar on like race and politics in the United States. And we even had to write essays about whether we thought Clinton or Trump was going to win. And even then I was like, yo, Trump got a real chance. Um, and it's, it's because analyzing it in, in the way that like a scholar might do it, it makes me say like, I don't necessarily see at this point early on somebody that stands out as like they can really be Trump. Yeah, no, I don't think, you know, it's been a very interesting response to Kamala. Uh, I want to talk, I'll talk about a couple of the others in a little bit. Yeah. Let's spend some time talking about Kamala Harris because um, within just the black community, we know that as of right now, there's a lot of buzz like, okay, black woman, you know, we want to throw our support behind there. She's been saying some great things since Trump has been in office, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. been really popular on social media with millennials. Um, But I think you are doing the right thing because I'm doing the same thing too. But I think emotionally it's kind of like that you're that, uh, that you're kind of wrestling with yourself. Like, damn, I should be like throwing my support, but no, we don't want to get got anymore by whoever it is. That's the bottom line. And I feel like, yes, we had Obama and I think Obama was the first. And I was also very young. That was the first president I ever voted for. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, in college. Oh, um, so that was my sweet. first time. Yeah, it was Obama. Right. My first time <laughs> in a presidential election was Obama. Uh, and so, you know, and not that Obama did anything wrong. You know what I'm saying? But I think now that I'm getting older now that I see Trump in office, now that I understand how politics work a little better, that I'm more critical of yeah. everyone. And it's not that I'm just looking at Kamala more critically. I'm looking at everyone. And I just don't want to put Kamala out there and say, you know, I'm just not going to be like, OK, she has my support because she's a black woman. Right. Um, I got to look at the policies. I got to look at what her intents are. And that's for everyone. And I think, you know, Looking at Kamala, I was like, okay, you know, I've only really noticed her, known about her for these past couple of years since Trump has been in office, but I really don't know much about, you know, her history. And so I've been doing a lot of research on like her past because I've been seeing a lot of conversations that have been critiquing her with her pretty much responses with the criminal justice system because she was a former DA and former attorney general in California. And so I'm like, hmm. People are raising these criticisms and she was in these positions, but now she's talking about, you know, prison reform and has this book called Smart on Crime. And this is one of her bigger, big platforms. And I'm sure it's going to continue to be on her agenda. Right. Because it's kind of big, especially now from the black community. When you hear like Jay-Z and Meek Mill getting together and doing reform and all this other kind of stuff. Um, I know she's going to play off that a lot. Um but looking at what some of the things she did, I mean, as as a DA, I mean, you, she did some good things like creating programs for reentry and recidivism. Um, but, you know, it seems the pattern I was noticing is that she seems to talk a good game, but in practice, her the like the applications of her policy seem to be a bit more conservative. Um, some more than others when it came to the criminal justice things. But one thing I just really had a big issue with when she was like pretty much 
saying parents can get jail time for truancy. Did you see that policy? I saw that. And as someone we just actually didn't we just talk about this a couple of weeks ago with someone who does research in schools and see how mm-hmm. complicated it is and how, you know, the students who are actually being truant are like dealing with like so much Um that that does bother me because it's truancy is a very complicated issue if you are on the ground in these schools. Yeah. And I mean, it's like and, and what I think really what upset me the most is like, you know, the ramifications of a policy like that, because you know who's going to be affected the most and it's going to be usually poor people of color. Right. When it comes to these truancy charges and their kids not being in school and who's going to be more likely to get locked up, it's not going to be white kids and it's not going to be affluent suburban white kids. So when you implement a policy like this, you're targeting a population um, that really can't defend themselves from it. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the I mean, she has some other things and, and controversies which we can talk about, too. But that's one of the things that really just kind of bothered me internally. Like, like, come on now. How could you pick a policy like that? Because that's just silly. Yeah. the I would say the other thing you, you probably know about this, too. And I don't think she argued this, but, you know, people in her uh, office argued this. And therefore, you know, I think she's ultimately responsible for it, too. But when they were arguing against the release of nonviolent offenders because it would affect the the population of prison workers that they had mm-hmm, to do mm-hmm. like, you know, manual labor for cheap prices. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is wild. I mean, I heard the thing about it. One of the major critiques she had, and I look closely at that one, but people say like, oh, because her conviction rates went like skyrocketed, you know, almost by like 15 percent, but mainly towards violent crimes. Um, And, you know, part of it was, you know, a cry from the communities who were having a lot of violence in their communities. They wanted something to be done. So she was responding to that. Mm -hmm. But a part of it, too, was that they were saying that she was convicting people so so fast that a lot of the people who were just suspects were not getting due process, right? So they were pretty much getting found guilty very quickly, mostly through plea deals under her administration, who were mostly mainly like poor black men for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so because she wanted these conviction rates to go up, but there was like a subset of these people who really just weren't having their day in court as they could have or should have. And people are saying probably there were some innocent guys getting locked up in that system too while she was under watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's complicated. Nothing's easy. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's doing some great things, but I'm looking at her patterns. And this is what I'm trying to look for is like she seems to say these things, but it's like, OK, when are what what are you going to actually implement if you're in office? Right. What do you care about the most? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I've seen some like pushback um from people who are like, why are people trying to tear her down? Like, why is her past coming up now? Like, we've, you know, loved her over the last two years. And to that, I have to say, like, I love her as a senator. Like, yeah. I feel like she's been, like, talking the talk. I, you know, even shouted her out, you know, I can't, it was probably like maybe a month or two ago because, you know, she introduced the Maternal Care Act, which was geared toward reducing, you know, disparities and maternal mortality, um, which is a big deal for me. So I will never take anything away from her that she's done, you know, as a senator. But I'm going to say, people, when it comes to a president of the United States, hell yes, we got to look into everybody. We cannot look at just the past two years. (laughs) And and, and so, like, because I don't, like I said, it feels 
Like, I feel like, oh, I'm, you know, doing something that's taboo. I'm, you know, going against, you know, the or I'm not even against, but even yeah, saying that, that like, I'm going to look more closely, I'm not going to make a decision yet, or it, it feels like you're doing something wrong, or at least I can say that, but I, I just want to put it out there to people that, you know, I just want to do my due diligence and the, and I would say that at least on BHD, some of the concerns that people have raised about her are issues that we have talked about Mm -hmm. consistently over the last Mm -hmm. year Mm -hmm. and things that we have talked about consistently being against over the last year. So, you know, you, you have to look and to see if people are being consistent, if people were giving Hillary a hard time for her, you know, criminal justice record or, you know, things that she's said in the past, you have to expect that, any other candidate might get the same treatment. So, you know, let's go to our BHD motto, facts, not feelings. Like, let's not get in our feelings. And if you are already, you know, behind her, if you're like, she has my vote no matter what, I think an effective way to be her surrogate, an effective way to be an advocate for her is to find facts that can actually address some of the people's concerns and don't try to appeal to their, but we, you know, we're supposed to have this connect. Like, don't do that. Cause I don't think that's going to win people over. Cause like you mentioned, Obama tie, whether people know it or not, there were a lot of black people who were disappointed after Obama left office or toward the end of his second term, because they thought that he was going to do something special for black people. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? They thought that he was going to be the black president. And, Mm -hmm. you know, with, with the political climate, he wasn't able to actually make some blackity black policy, you know, Uh as we might say. And so there were a lot of people who were disappointed and who are not like, who are now like skin folk and kin folk. And they're not necessarily drawn to a candidate because of their racial background when they might look, they might use Obama as an example of how just because there's a black man in office doesn't mean that we're going to have black targeted policies. Mm-hmm. So you also have to understand that that dynamic is at play as well when it comes to discussions about Kamala Harris. Yeah. And, and yeah, so that's the thing. I think that's the realization I've come to similar to what you said. It's not like I'm against Kamala, but it's like I need to know if, you, if you're going to be up there and and trying to get black votes one and, you know, act and be somebody of the community, which can be debated in several ways. I think that you should also we should also make sure that we ask the right questions as a community just to make sure that you're held accountable so that when you get in this position these are our expectations right mm-hmm. so we can i think we're allowed to say like listen this is what we've seen you do in the past you know ex- can you explain yourself and can you assure us that you're not are you going to be more careful when you're making these kind of policies in the future mm-hmm. um and i think that's fair for us to ask and I, whether you're black whether you're white um you know i think we're at that time now we just don't have the liberty just to sit there and or the freedom or, you know, the opportunity to sit there and for the, for things to go wrong, because, again, it's going to be us that are hurt. One of the things I saw, too, like you said, um, some of the topics that they're bringing up linked to Kamala are things we talked about on this podcast. And I know way, way back, if you guys go back, listen to what we talked about um, on the natural hair episode. Right. And, you know, yes, most of it was centered around natural hair and women. But, you know, there was a particular case that ra- that she had a lot of buzz around um, where it was the case of the sick man, um, you know, the cultural practice, S-I-K-H, not like a sick 
as far mm-hmm. as health man, um, just for our listeners. Uh, but he was barred from working as a prison guard because of his religiously mandated beard. Okay, so Harris actually argued that his beard prevented him from properly fit being fitted with a gas mask, thus disqualifying him from the job. Um, even though California's corrections and rehabilitation departments say that guards are allowed to have be- beards if for certain medical reasons and the like. Right. So, I mean, even though it's not, it's just, it was just one case, it was one thing, but these are things we talked about, right? Like, this is a guy who's having a beard for medical reasons, and you can't, not for medical, for religious reasons, but you're allowed to have beards. And she didn't have to argue against it, but she did. Um, and got, and this guy lost his job because of it uh, as well. So, it's like, you know, there's certain things in there that can be questioned. And I think we have the right as citizens to, to ask these questions. I, I um, agree. And like I said, I'm going to say, because Thinking about the missteps, missteps that Hillary had is she didn't have a message in the same way that Trump had, even if we thought his message was stupid. It was a mm-hmm. message that resonated with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and she could she did not effectively address, I think, some of the concerns that people had. So we cannot dismiss them again. If you want to be her advocate, don't dismiss what people are saying. Kind of embrace it and try mm-hmm. to rebut it yeah. in a way that makes people say, OK, there are effective ways to do it. And it's funny because I was in a private group and I was like, I made a post like, you know, people are tired of negativity, you know, related to her. Well, you know, let's create a post that has like talking points that her advocates or her surrogates can use to say, Hey, this is how she's shown that black lives matter. Or this is, you know what she said. Cause I think she addressed some of her like criminal justice record in her book, but truth be told, not everybody going to buy a $20 book. And mm-hmm. when it comes to winning uh, an election, you know, of citizens across the United States, it should not be a requirement to buy a book to figure out why someone did what they did. So, you know, if you are for her, maybe you should buy her books read what she said and use that as some of the talking points for people who have legitimate concerns about her. Like, so I'm not going to say like, oh, she's not the person, but it's like, if you have concerns, your concerns are legit. If you're like, people need to throw her weight behind her. I want you to know how to effectively do that in a way that's not like your concerns aren't valid. You should just like her because, but one thing I will say is, I'm not here for people like attacking her blackness um, mm-hmm. and things like that. So I've seen people like saying, like, oh, she not really black, like uh, Tariq Nasheed or whatever his name is, posted a, a video of her like dancing to like a rap song and she had her hair tied back and he was like oh she trying to show her edges to try you know try to pretend like she black or something like that and even (laughs) even Howard Dean who you know had ran for prison a long time ago he was like yo uh you know STFU like shut the you know what up she can wear her hair like she want to like no like she is a part of the black community she attended Howard University she pledged Alpha Kappa Alpha there and you know you know that's not to say oh that makes her black but it's like we cannot pretend like she has not been a part of like black institutions and the black community for at least the last, you know, 30 years she pledged in the 80s. So it's just kind of like she is a part of the black community. Let's not pretend like if she's doing things that are perceived as black, that she's only doing it for the campaign. So that's the one thing that I am kind of not here for. Yeah, no, all in all, she's a black woman. I, How do you feel about her and 
like, because I think there was a headline when she was directly asked a few days ago, something about being black and being um, a Native American. And she responded in a way to saying, like, no, I'm American along those lines. Oh, I, did, I didn't see that. It was. Yeah, well she, the response was just pretty much like, I'm a good American or I'm like, uh, I don't know, whatever it is. You know, I represent America, something along those lines. But she didn't really kind of embrace like, no, I, I'm a black woman, you know. Um, and I feel like that's something similar what Obama did kind of in the beginning. Then he switched up later on and was like, oh, I'm a black man, because I think eventually she's going to have to do the same thing. Um, but initially, I mean, this is the very early stages, so I'm kind of paying attention to what she's saying, and how she's approaching these like identities, the, how she identifies, because those questions are going to come up just like they did with Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just careful to see her response. But her so first one was like, yeah, I'm an I'm an American, some along those lines. So that mm, that is political strategy. Um, mm-hmm. especially this early on, I, I can already see what she's doing. So she's, you know, for like national news, she's trying to appeal to Americans broadly. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, Americans typically mean white folk. I mean, yeah. to be honest. Um, but I also see she's had like smaller, like, you know, rallies or visitations where she's been on like she because Howard and Harvard had a, a game, um, a real H.U. game like earlier this week. And she was there. Uh-huh. So it was just kind of like, although, you know, I know Hampton, you know, in that real H.U. debate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, H.I.U. represent. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, trying to do these smaller like targeting the African-American community. So that I feel like, I don't know, in in some ways I feel like when you're talking about like black politicians, you got to be a little bit, in my opinion, a little bit lenient because I don't know, being a black person trying to win national office, like it's a, you got to walk a delicate line in regard to really pushing like a specific racial... Well, you know, pushing a black racial identity, I'll say that. Not all racial identity, but a black yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, I, she was at, um, trying to get this. She said about, because she announced on MLK Day, you know, uh, which we all should know by this point. And then, um, you know, they asked about her, be, her about her racial identity. And then she pretty much, you know, she responded by saying, you know, I describe myself as a proud American. And kind of left it there. Yeah, um, that's that political speak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so again, you know, those things are kind of paying attention to, you know, uh, I know no one can go up there and at this point, it kind of sucks. We'll talk about that in a second about being like too black or um, black, you know, saying that is like terrible. Um, actually, let's talk about that now because, you know, this, <laughs> when we talk about this and this is what we kind of talked about off, off air, but you know, it was a good conversation to have as far as like what we talk about was politically acceptable to say and not say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, looking at all of these candidates, most of them have a strong platform and something. But it's like to say anything about black identity, black folk is like extremely taboo. Right. Um, you know, like I said, you can have somebody like Elizabeth Foreman or Kirsten Gillibrand or even Kamala Harris who are running on, you know, maybe being progressive or maybe being for uh, I know Gillibrand is like about like kind of feminism and fit and women, you know, together and all these quotes and stuff that she's talked about about that on Twitter. Um, and then you have, uh, I think, Julian Castro, you know, and, and from San Antonio, who's like the the parents, uh, the the children of like Mexican immigrants and things along those lines. So he's talking 
immigration, his Latino identity and how he's going to be trying to put policies in there for Latino population because they're uh, in jeopardy now because of the Trump administration. Um, and I think um, who is there's one guy, right? I think who is running, who is uh, uh, part of LGBT, who's gay yeah, the, as well. The, the mayor of South Bend, he's oh, yeah. married to... Uh, Pete Buttigieg, right? Um, who people are like, oh, the gay president, potential first gay president, right? Um, and and talking about LGBT rights and all this kind of stuff and embracing that identity. And so it's like, and then people talking about the poor, right? And 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 then we talk about class struggles. So we have gender, we have class, we have immigration, you know, all these other when we talk about race, it's like that can't be a major part of anybody's platform. Like, it's kind of sad when I when I look at all of this kind of stuff, you know, that me as a black man would love to have somebody have a platform that's explicitly creating policies or addressing issues within or for the black community and that not being an issue. But it's OK, politically OK and safe when you say all these other words and communities and protect them. Yeah, it's it's been that way. And like I said, that was an issue that I think Obama struggled with not being able to create policies and specifically target or identify black Americans as a target or beneficiary of those policies. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's this political con or there's this concept in political science. um, And it talks about like the social construction of target populations. And there are some populations that are, um, viewed as a kind of helpless. There are some that are viewed as deviant. There are some that are viewed as powerful and there are some that are viewed as weak. And depending on where you are on this, like, um, you know, kind of chart, like depending on where you are, like if you are viewed as like powerful and deviant, then, you know, you're not going to get policies targeted toward you that are seemingly beneficial. And when we Mm -hmm. think about how African-Americans are constructed in the media and across the United States, we are often constructed as deviant. You know, I don't know if we're constructed as powerful or weak. I think, you know, that depends on the person. But because we are often constructed as deviant in the minds of, you know, the majority, people feel hesitant to construct policies that are seen as beneficial towards our population. Mm, And that's me putting on my, you know, social science hat is just kind of like, yeah, black people are not positively socially constructed. Therefore, people don't see it as worthwhile or politically beneficial to create policies that are beneficial for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. You know, mothers, welfare recipients, DACA, because even when you think about immigration, you've noticed how they've tried to separate uh, undocumented youth and potential DACA recipients, which is DACA is a beneficial policy. You know, they, the um, uh, undocumented youth are constructed as Uh, they're constructed at at least as either positively or they're constructed as like weak in a sense that like, oh, they had no control over this versus like the elders or their parents who are seen as like having, you know, broken the law. The policies that are constructed for them are, you know, negative. Like we need to deport them. Um, Mm. So it's just kind of like, you know, even within a particular population, there might be some who are like socially constructed as good and some who are socially constructed as bad. 
And I have some friends who, you know, do work on like immigration and they're trying to push back against the good immigrant narrative to say like all immigrants deserve beneficial policies. But really, even when you look in that population, some of them are good and therefore deserve things like DACA, but some of them are bad and need to be deported and kind of like, oh, well. So you can also Mm -hmm. think about it like that to other uh, populations. No, yeah, that's real. That's real. Um, how they target and just, you know, I think we, we got to figure this out um, and and make black folks on the agenda as well. Yes. Because they don't want us up there. They don't want us up there, man. It's crazy. Yeah. So that's why I, I do hope that as these, because uh, we're probably going to have to have a future conversation because, you know, most people, you know, haven't released their like official platforms. Uh, and when they do, we really have to have another conversation. Are people willing to say Black Lives Matter? You know, mm-hmm. are they yeah. willing to put it out there? That's true. Um, and that's going to be interesting because, I mean, I don't know about everybody. I know Kamala's, because of her position as a DA, most of her criminal justice policies have been looked under as a microscope compared to others who really weren't in those kind of positions because there were, there were sayings of how she opposed giving police officers body cameras or she was opposed to investigating police officers involved in some brutality cases and stuff like that. Um, so those are things like if you're going to claim that Black Lives Matter, right, or those kind of things on your agenda, you're going to have to clarify and explain a little bit more. Um, and there, you know, I'm, I've been looking at some of the other candidates, you know, uh, looking through them and seeing what are they offering or what are they thinking about potentially running on or what are their strengths um, overall. Some of them don't have much like like Pete uh, Buddha Judge, but I think he had endorsements. Was he the one that had endorsements from? No, I don't think it was him. Which one had endorsements from Obama? I can't remember. Um, that I'm not sure. I know Julian Castro worked. You know, I think it, I think it might have been Julian yeah. Castro. Um, uh, I know the uh, candidate from Hawaii, um, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, um, you know, there's been some controversies around her pretty much dealing with LGBT, uh, mainly because her dad was actually like working for some organization uh, that and she worked with her dad with that organization when she was younger in 2010 that did a lot of the stuff that um, Pence was on to, like that conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even early in her political career, she like pretty much opposed same sex marriage and things along those lines. Um, but, you know, she's about clean energy, gun, uh, you know, more it's tighter gun rights, you know, supports uh, pro-choice, things along those lines. Uh, but her LGBT issues have been under the most scrutiny because she has been opposing that for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And I think up until recently, she's began to change her narrative, probably because she's had her sights set on. Uh, you know, being president one day, you can't, you know, that that's a population you don't want to upset too much. Boy. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, and someone can email us and fact check me, but I do think that previously, even Barack Obama had been against uh, same-sex mm-hmm. marriage. And then, you know, mm-hmm. his stance kind of evolved. And I think, you know, I, I personally am going to be open to all candidates who seem to have had a genuine evolution on their mm-hmm. policy positions and their history. That includes Kamala Harris, but it takes oh, yeah. ownership. You got to own yeah. it, baby. You got to own it. You got to own it. Um, who else? You know, Elizabeth Warren, she's been in the game for a minute. Yeah. I, well, I think my only kind of, one of my bias 
uh, it just really had nothing to do with her policies, really nothing. But it's just the fact that she she's an academic for the most part. Yeah. You know, she's been a tenured full professor, been a dean or whatever, you know. Um, so I feel like she definitely brings that academic vibe to the politics as far as empirical research and backing up policy. But her main thing is dealing with economy. Uh, we saw her really become big when she was going against um uh, the banks, what was it? What bank was it? Uh, Wells Fargo, yeah. when that whole scandal was going on and she, uh, when they were testifying and she pretty much, the question line, line of questioning was amazing. Um, but that's her, that's her like area of expertise. And a lot of what I'm reading about her is that kind of stuff. She's going to really deal with certain economic policies and really, really putting more taxes on the rich. Um, and a lot of tax kind of things is what she'll be focused on. But you know, that, that academic vibe, you know, I like that, but that, that's not going to make or break her. Yeah. Um, who else quickly? Um, Castro. oh, of course, I think looking, huh? I was about to say Castro. Yeah, I was about to say Julian Castro. You know, looking at him, it's funny because uh, they're really not trying, not that I'm trying to find dirt on people. He's pretty young, so he has a shorter, you know, political career. So there's naturally not going to be a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I guess because he excelled so early in his career. You know, he was working with Obama and then gets these kind of nods. So a lot of his support is already pretty strong. Him and his brother have been making a lot of strides. And like so progressively, he's been kind of on the right side of a lot of things. When we're talking about economy, we're talking about universal health care, free education in college, universal preschool, um, client all for climate control, gun control, LGBT rights. So, you know, politically. As far as being a liberal or being progressive, there's not much on his record where he's been, you know, on the other side mm. on, you know, had time to dibble and dabble with some conservative policies. And sometimes that's a part of politics to make compromise. You're going to have to vote for things that may you may not feel strongly, but to move forward or whatever. Mm. Um, so he seems like the same, like if, if people are going to be judging off political backgrounds. Right now, he's probably like, you know, the cleanest, if you will. Yeah. We're talking about policy. And that, like you said, that comes with age. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, that and I think people do want to see some younger candidates like I child. I don't know if I want Bernie Sanders in his race. Uh -oh. <laughs> Bernie Sanders, <laughs> the one guy, Andrew Young, who's Andrew Yang, who's not a politician, who's an entrepreneur. It's funny because one of the things he's pushing is um uh, for pretty much he wants to give everybody I think it's like income equality so he wants to give pretty much all, all Americans a thousand dollars every month oh yeah you know? universal <laughs> basic income yeah. yeah universal basic income that's what it's called so he, his campaign proposes a thousand dollars per month pretty much by taxing because he's saying all these automated jobs you know robotic jobs are taking the jobs of millions of Americans and he's saying these companies that make billions of dollars off of that will be taxed severely more and pretty much pay the average American for not giving a, a human a job and so all the americans will get a thousand dollars per month uh, which is kind of funny I, I'm okay I, I will link a study because i think they did that it was either mississippi or alabama and it was like a small pilot of that and i think they did it with some mothers and i have to reread it uh and i could be wrong that's why i'm gonna link mm -hmm. the article but i think it did turn out like as a good in terms of the experiment Mm, okay. Okay. So again, he's not a politician, but he's proposing that. I know that's going to get a lot of people's attention. Like, <laughs> like yeah, what? An extra thousand per month? Okay. What you talking, bro? <laughs> you know what? Uh, Based on this conversation and all the conversations that have happened this week, though, I would say that the person, just because it seems that she's so polarizing, it seems like the front runner right now is Kamala Harris because she has so many people talking. 
Like mm-hmm. even this conversation was mostly about her and it's not like, oh, okay, we will talk about some of the other people. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say mm-hmm. she'll win it, but she's definitely the, the most polarizing and talked about right now. Yeah. Yeah. She's definitely. Um, and I mean, and to be honest, when I'm doing the research, you know, looking at these candidates, she just had the most written about her. Um, it was, and that's why I was also able to talk to about her a lot, her past a lot more because people have just been writing about her more than the other candidates. And I think people are getting that feel that she's probably going to be one of the fin- the finalists in this, in this whole yeah. competition. Yeah. Um, but I want to see more, man. I want I want us to bring out the best of the best to go against Trump. You know, too, honey. if if Joe Biden comes, let Joe Biden come. You know, whoever else, like throw your name in the hat, give yourself a chance. You know, we should consider everybody and let us um, decide. Yeah, let us decide. Yeah, not not the establishment like they messed up last time. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I, I really would. You know, and I hope so. I do want to see a broad field, and I hope that. By February, when, you know, somebody's starting to emerge, that we can throw our weight behind that person and not be so divided. And I think that's what worries me about Bernie Sanders getting in a race. Like, if he's the best candidate, then, hey, go for it. You are the best. But he divides people. Um, And I don't want to go into 2020 with, like, so many people having hard feelings because their candidate didn't win. Yeah, yeah. That we we don't want to suffer through that again. Um, I mean, honestly, you know, I, yeah, I think I think you're right. Kamala, she she's a, she's probably the front runner. I think Elizabeth Warren Warren is mm-hmm. probably going to be close, and I definitely Castro. Yeah, is, is I agree. There. Those um, are the top three to me right now. And I know people are talking about what's his name that um uh, uh Beto's is that it? Oh, uh, Beto, Beto, Beto. Beto yeah, he'll be a good vice president. That's what, I, and that's what I'm starting to kind of think. Like, okay, who if who emerges? Some of these cats, I think, would be really good vice presidents. You know, uh, uh, considerations mm-hmm. to help to help make up for any that's any slack that the primary may have. And especially uh, if the actual presidential candidate is on the older side, I think they need some youth. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think our generation, we're just tired of like older people yeah. who have wrecked our country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Telling us what to do. Yeah, like, if you look at most of the candidates, most of them were pretty, pretty on the younger side of things, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it's funny. I think the only thing I laugh at Biden if he makes it or gets denied is just like, man, them debates between him and Trump are gonna be hilarious if that were the case. I, I was about to say, I think he might be the only one that can like, you know, stoop to Trump's level of pettiness and still yeah. come out okay. Yeah, yeah. That might not work for a woman. Oh, probably not. It might not work for a candidate of color. But Biden can like stoop to that level of pettiness and people still be like, yo, Biden. And that's just because that's who we know Biden to be already. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Like, so he's succeeded already with we knowing who his character is. And, you know, so it would just be it would just be funny, man, because yeah. Them debates would be, you know, not that that's what I'm looking forward to, but I know them good debates. But no, I, I, me too. <laughs> like, I, I do feel, I want Biden to throw his hat in the ring. I feel like he also has a lot of questions to answer and people going to tear him up too. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. do. But put your hat in the ring and let us, let us look at y'all records, look at the sincerity of your evolution and let us decide. How do you feel about Cory Booker? I don't 
don't have strong feelings about him. Like, <laughs> I, I don't get like warm, fuzzy, like, oh, I wish he would run feelings. Yeah, I, I just very, I mean, because I'm, you know, from New Jersey and and I work in Newark a lot and, you know, I saw the work he did in Newark and then, you know, popular and became senator in New Jersey. Um, but, you know, even like, and, I, and I've even heard him speak. I've heard him give commencement speeches and all this kind of stuff. I'm just like, he just don't connect with me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why. I can't put my finger on it, but it's, he's just never like, he's a good guy. And I feel like some people are better at being in positions where like, like as a senator, you know, mm-hmm. um, or like the more local positions where you can implement these changes and stuff. But right now, I don't know if I can fully see him, you know, as a an, as a president in that capacity. Uh, but if he though, because, you know, there's the conversation about him potentially throwing his name in the hat, too. Yeah, I just mm, no. And then I feel like he tries to be too perfect, though. That's not I'm just like, I'm a vegan. I work out. I do all this stuff like, bro, like everything like he doesn't drain. Doesn't, well, not you have to do all this kind of but he's like no blemishes, man. Just like <laughs> like be real sometimes. You know, I just feel like I never can feel I don't think I never saw him like in a genuine light. Like who is the real Cory Booker, you know? Yeah. What's funny is one of the things that could hurt him is not having a wife. Oh, yeah. That's been a. Even since he was mayor, senator, that's always been a part of his like. And then people have questioned his sexuality, too, because, yeah, of, that. because of that. I didn't I wouldn't go mention him because, you know, but yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I would say at least in the black community, if you if you stay unmarried as a man for too long, <laughs> then when you are very like financially successful and all that, people, and all that stuff, people do start talking. I ain't going to mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I want to say, I don't know if it was him. I, I think there was a uh, little headline, little, you know, tabloid headline of him maybe being on a date with some woman or something like that I saw not too long ago. Um, But, you know, who knows? Who knows? We'll see. And it also could be like dating preferences because, you know, even if he, you know, does date women, because, you know, also people had talked about or there was a debate about if Obama had a white wife, would he have won? Mm hmm. Yeah. So that that can be, you know, a tricky situation, too. Yeah, maybe he likes white women, you know, and he knows that people don't like that. You know, white white men definitely be mad at that. <laughs> you know, people <laughs> people in our community, you can already hear the narrative. Oh, so you can't, you know, choose a black woman, huh? You know? <laughs> That's so funny. But you know, Kamala Harris, her husband is yeah. white. So, uh-huh. you know, how will that play out? That, and that is interesting. You know, I've heard people already had conversations like, dang, you went to HBCU, you in a, a black, you in a black sorority and you were a white man. You know, um, people have been throwing that questions out there, too. I've heard that. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be too much of a talking point with her. Yeah. Interesting enough. Yeah. Uh, but if it was a if it was the other way around, maybe it would be. She down with the swirl. <laughs> <laughs> that does make interesting policy conversations, and I don't know. Yeah, when people throw those kind of comments, because your kids are just from like a mom standpoint, when your kids are living in both worlds, person mm-hmm. kind of say, and and if you're like, you know, I don't know. That's between them and their household. But I would be interested to see like what kind of conversation she has with her kids about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well. Um, but yeah, a lot. A lot going on with the elections. We'll definitely keep talking as more things unfold, which I'm sure they will. More candidates will come out, which I'm sure they will. Um, you know, Daphne and I, we're going to keep, you know, definitely staying engaged and active. And all the information we'll learn, we'll definitely share with you all. 
And, and probably at some point, maybe we can bring, I don't know if there's somebody as, as it gets further along and maybe we start to see who's really the front runners. Mm-hmm. If there's, you know, some expert political scientists to come in and, and really talk about the candidates and break it down for us. Agree. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get somebody in here for that, too. And listeners, it is important for you to know that when it comes to these candidates, we're going to be facts, not feelings. Like, that's what we do on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, we are not going to tear anyone down. We're not going to do like personal attacks, but we are going to discuss everybody's records. We're going to discuss everybody's platforms, you know, equally, because for me, it is about getting the country out of this hole that we are being driven into. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think, like you said earlier, too, it's about when they start putting out what their you know agendas are going to be to really read up on what they're proposing. Right. Mm-hmm. And see, like, is this tangible? Like, really critique that more than anything. Right. Because yes. this is what they're saying they're going to do when they are in office. And so that's what we really need to pay particular attention to. So as they start to unveil that more, you know, we'll have definitely have conversations about that because that's probably what's going to be most important. Mm-hmm. Whatever economic policies, criminal justice policies, healthcare policies, education environment, all that stuff, um, you know, they we got to make sure that they're actually feasible outcomes and potentially who they can affect. Will they help us out as a community? And that's also what I'm going to be looking for. <laughs> yeah, because we're not falling for no walls like other people. Well, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. We don't <laughs> we ain't talk to us about no wall like the other folks, boy. We don't want no dang old wall. We want free education. We want yeah. maybe some, some reparations. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, so yeah, this has been a fun conversation per usual. Um, next week we will have our, get back on our episodes of our interviews and we have a very uh, cool and special one coming up for the next week. I won't give it away. So pay particular attention to be ready for next week episode to start off February, um, in black history month, uh, with a, with a pretty interesting topic. Um, but other than that, uh, thank you for listening to us for these past couple of months. It's me, Daphne, and I. We'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming. Uh, if you haven't yet, follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at BHD Podcast is our social media handle. You can visit our website, www.blackandhollingdangerous.com to keep up with all of our latest content. Email us, bhdpodcast at gmail.com with any ideas you have about anything, questions, if you'd like to be a guest, whatever it is, email us. Um, and other than that, review and rate us on iTunes or any of the social, any of the, uh, any of the podcast platforms that you listen to us on. Um, and then as always, share us with your friends, share us with your family and share us with your enemies. And as always continue to be the oppressor's worst fear. If you're interested in continuing this and other conversations, visit our website, blackandhollydangerous.com to subscribe to our email list, suggest topics, and participate in our discussion forums. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BHD Podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite platform. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear.